0: together. You are most holy Lord, most worthy of our praise. And Lord, we thank you tonight for who you are. We thank you for what you are in our lives. And Lord, we have come in the midst of this uh, evening of study of learning, and we have come to this time in the evening that is set apart to focus our thoughts, our minds, and our attention for a little while on you. And I would ask God that you would speak to us clearly tonight. As we come together, we are aware of the fact, God, that there are some of our number that need a special physical touch. We think tonight especially of uh, Linda Stevens Stevenson. pray for her, God. I think of Joe Grimes, and I ask that you would touch him, that you would heal that broken bone. And, and Lord, there are others undoubtedly within the NBC family that need that special physical touch. There are also those who are here tonight or within the extended NBC family who who need not only a physical touch, but they need a spiritual touch. They need to have you slip down beside them this very moment, and they need to hear you speak words of peace and comfort and encouragement. And I pray that you would do that in this time together. There may be those, God, that Need a spiritual touch, not in a way of comfort and encouragement, but in the way of your thumb in their back saying, do this. And I pray that whatever we need tonight, you would give to each of us that which we most need. We can pray that because we know from experience that that's exactly how you work. You come and minister to our each and individual needs. Speak to us through your word tonight, and through the words that I would try to say to open your word before us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I realize that I'm uh, of an older generation, and the longer I go, it seems that I'm of a much older generation. So I just want to be sure that uh, you're going to understand my first little illustration and question tonight. Uh, How many of you have ever played hide and seek? And if nobody puts up your hands, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Okay. all right, good. You're you're going to be with me at least at the start, Okay. How many of you have ever played hide and seek with a little kid? You know, the kind of kid I'm talking about who, when you get to that moment in time, they, they don't understand the purpose of the game. And when you get to that moment in time and say, ready or not, here I come, what do they do? They say, here I am, here I am, find me, find me. I submit to you tonight that while they don't seem to catch the importance of the game or the the meaning of the game, I submit to you tonight that we serve a God who is just like that. That there are times when we believe that somehow he is hiding from us and instead he is standing there all the time saying, Wait! Here! 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 Find me! Find me! I'm here! I'm right here! That's what I want to talk to us about tonight. We're going to focus in and explore the idea is that God is that way, that he wants to be found by us. But first, I'd like to illustrate a bit of my message Today with uh, a little story, or a little historical background. In uh, the year 1855, in a small Iowa community by the name of Bradford, Iowa, a core group of people began a congregational church. That uh, new church began to grow and develop, and, and that little village soon became the largest town in that particular section of iowa they had 500 people living in that town and so this little congregational church decided that they needed to build a building and so in 1860 they began to build a small building before they had actually begun their building a a young man from the state of wisconsin Wisconsin was passing through that 's for all of you Ohio State and Michigan people. Uh, uh, an individual from Wisconsin was passing through the area on the way to visit his fiance while he was visiting his fiance he uh, He stopped at this little village of Bradford and wandered through a wooded glen and being a musician and a poet he Thought to himself what a beautiful location for a church building and so he he wrote a poem about a church building that did not yet exist he went back to wisconsin wrote some music to go with the words and threw the poem and the music with it into a drawer and forgot about it it was a few years later that uh, He and his wife moved back to the area to take care of her ailing parents, and he became the the music teacher at the academy, the high school in Bradford, Iowa. One day shortly after his arrival, he was wandering around the area, and he stopped into that wooded glen again, and much to his amazement, there was a church building just as he had pictured it. It was the church building that had been built by this congregational congregation. When they had gotten to the point that they were almost completed with their building, they knew that it needed to be painted, but the only paint that they could afford was brown. And so they painted their building brown, and he trained his high school academy choir to sing the song, the poem that he had written years before, and they sang it at the dedication of the Little Brown Church in the Vale. Now, that may not be important to you, but uh, that Little Brown Church is a very famous building. That Little Brown Church still sits on that same location today as it did back in 1862. Why is that building famous? What makes that small building so famous? Each year, hundreds of couples come from all over the United States and literally around the world to the Little Brown Church. Bradford is now extinct. It's no more. But the Little Brown Church still sits there. It's close to the town of Nashua, Iowa. And in the 149 years since its inception, More than 72,000 couples have stood at the altar of that little chapel and repeated their wedding vows and have covenanted with each other. They have have shared a covenant, the covenant of marriage, that they would would forsake all others and be joined together. Think of that. One church, 72,000 plus weddings. Now, I'm sure that not all of those covenants have lasted as long as the people who made them intended for them to last. But many have. In fact, to quote uh, one of the phrases from that uh, famous song, no spot is so dear to my childhood as the Little Brown Church in the Vale, because you see, on June the 2nd, 1931, the couple that you now see stood at the altar of that church and covenanted together to be man and wife they were my parents they made a vow and a promise to each other that they would forsake all others and the covenant that they shared together on that day lasted solidly for nearly 42 years in a society where covenantal relationships were more and more easily broken as the years passed by Their vows, the vows of covenant that were spoken at the altar of that little church, stood against all stresses and strains until the heart attack of my father in 1973 brought the covenant relationship to an immediate end. That couple, though, my parents, felt that that covenant relationship was very, very important. Now, let me tell you now about another covenant relationship. On June fifth, 1965, this young, thin couple exchanged covenant vows and were married in a much larger church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thus far, through trials, tests, stress, and strain, those covenant vows have lasted for over 39 years. On that June afternoon, that couple promised in making that marriage covenant that they would love, honor, cherish—and yeah, I think even the word obey was used back then—until death parted them. Through the years, they have had numerous opportunities to renew those vows and that covenant relationship. That thin young couple now looked like this, with their family of four children, one son-in-law and one granddaughter. Well, actually, as of 9.09 p.m. last night, that couple now has two granddaughters, but that's another issue. <clears throat> and that's another story, okay. I, I want us to focus in these minutes on covenant relationships. From the Dictionary of the Bible and Christian Doctrine in Everyday English, and that's the one that's best for me, Everyday English, we learn that a covenant is an agreement between persons. The Dictionary also says that God also makes covenants with people. He promises to help and be a friend to all who obey Him. And I'm sure we're all aware of the fact that God made a special covenant relationship with his chosen people through Abraham. But that covenant that was made in with Abraham and then repeated again with his sons and grandchildren was periodically renewed in the nation of Israel. I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles, the 15th chapter and i want to read a portion of second chronicles 15 to read about one of the times when the people of the nation of israel were called together to renew the covenant but in addition to renewing the covenant with god they made a covenant with each other that was rather unique and, and interesting and i'm going to begin reading with the first verse of chapter 15 But I'm going to to skip some of the verses and jump through it. I will tell you as I move from uh, one place to another verse. Beginning with verse 1, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. And then jumping to verse 7 where God, through the prophet, is speaking, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard these words, and the prophet of Azariah, son of Obed, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled... All Judah and Benjamin and the people of Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, who had settled among them, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Now listen. Then they assembled in Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. At that time they sacrificed to the Lord seven hundred head of cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from the plunder that they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting, and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly. And he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. It's a rather interesting thing. They they covenanted with God, but they also covenanted, covenanted with each other. That they would seek God with all of their hearts, and they agreed, if they did not seek God with all their hearts, the people who did not seek God would be destroyed. Why? Because... Because they knew that those would be the people who would tear them down. Those would be the people who would would take the, the covenant relationship and trample on it. And consider it to be not as necessary as they now realize the covenant relationship to be. God also, in the New Testament of course, renewed a new form of the covenant with his chosen people through Abraham. And through Christ, the new covenant was made. If you turn now to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, in verses 20 and 21, the writer of Hebrews, in in, in a benediction, talks about this new and eternal covenant that has a purpose for our lives. That purpose, well, let's read the passage, verse 20 of the New Covenant is that we might be equipped to do good deeds, to do good for doing the will of God. God wants to be in a covenant relationship with us. As God renews His covenant with us again and again, it is because we have the tendency to, to move or drift away from what He is desiring for us, from the central purpose to which He has called us. Flip back again to Second Chronicles chapter 15, and in the 15th verse, the last verse that I read, we, we see that it is pointed out that God does want to be found by us. When we realize that that drift has occurred, or that shift in our purpose and our vitality for Him has faded. He wants us to come back into covenant relationship with him. This summer, as I was reading through Second Chronicles in my devotions, I, I was, uh, was reading a portion of it in the message. And I came to this 15th verse, and I was struck by Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse, which says, Anticipating the best, they sought God, and he showed up, ready to be found. Here I am, find me. That's the God we serve. When we get discouraged, when we get stressed, when we get down, God is there saying, Here I am, find me. We may think He is hidden, but He's not. Well, so what's the point of all this? What's the, the practical application? Let's talk in closing about a bit of how this applies to you and me here and now. I suggest to you that we here at Nazarene Bible College, together as the NBC family, we are in, we are in covenant relationship with God both individually and corporately. Individually, I want to I speak to each of you personally right now. Studies are very, very important. That's vital. You're here to prepare. God has called you here. You are here. But let absolutely nothing stand in the way of a white, hot, fervent relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be in that covenant relationship with Him. Individually, you must have it if you're going to make it through. Covenant with God that you will do whatever it takes to accomplish that which He has called you to accomplish. But we're also in covenant relationship with God as a group of people. The way we live individually affects the relationship we have with each other and the relationship that this group, the NBC family, has with God. Long ago, Reuben Welch, who for years was chaplain at Point Loma, observed that we really do need each other. Last week, during opening convention, Rene reminded—excuse minded, me—Rene reminded us. How does that? Okay, Rene reminded us of that verse in Hebrews that said, "Let us consider how to spur one another on to, toward love and good deeds." I, uh, I looked again at the King James translation. The King James translation of that verse said, Let us provoke one another. (laughs) I'm afraid sometimes we are pretty good at that. (laughs) Let us provoke one another. Not to become frustrated, angry, bitter, turned off, turned away. Let us provoke one another to love and good deeds. We are in this together, folks. And and then that brings to mind the fact that there is another covenant relationship. We, We really don't talk about it a great deal, but in actual fact, by coming here you have indicated a desire to enter into a covenant relationship with Nazarene Bible College. You have come to this place feeling a call of God on your life. Part of fulfilling that call is to prepare for what God has in store for you. When you come to NBC as students to enroll, to sit here in our classes, to enjoy the warmth of the fellowship, to, to feel the Spirit move in the chapel, you are enjoying a covenant relationship. And while I probably am exceeding the authority that I have, At least when I said what I'm about to say this morning in chapel, Dr. Sanders was here and he nodded, so I guess it's okay. As administration, as faculty, as staff, we covenant with you to help you accomplish that which God has called you to this place to accomplish. It's a covenant relationship. It should be one that is not easily broken. It should be a relationship that on our side of the equation is one where we will do absolutely everything that we possibly can, both both personally, individually, corporately, spiritually, educationally, everything that we can to help you as students accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish. And on your part, that covenant relationship means that you will invest your time and energy in doing everything that you possibly can to take the greatest advantage of this place. Of the relationships that can be formed here. Of the support that you can find, both from other students and from faculty, administrators, and staff. There will be many opportunities to walk away from this covenant relationship. There will be stresses that will arise that will cause you to question the need to stay in this covenant. There will be trials that will come that may even cause you to doubt whether or not you should have come in the first place. But I want to stress to you the importance of maintaining this covenant. Just as those married couples that I showed you earlier entered into covenant that would last until the completion of life, I want to joyfully invite you to enter into a covenant relationship that will only be completed as you have completed this phase of preparation for what God wants in your life. Just as Sharon and I have stood before altars of the various churches where I have served as a pastor and renewed our covenant vows from time to time, and just as the Israelites needed to renew the covenant relationship from time to time, I encourage you to continue periodically to renew and revitalize your covenant relationship with God, your covenant relationship with each other, your covenant relationship with this educational institution. And if we do that, God will help us to do things we can't even begin to imagine. Thank you.